Well, hey, church, how's that for music to give by? We like our, we like our folk music around here, don't we? And a song about Paul is very appropriate, isn't it? There you are. Look at you. You, uh, you look nice, all dressed up in your summer stuff. Um, we're praying for some of our folks this week. We won't you know, name everybody. We probably should name a couple. The Glazers have an anniversary today, 46 years. Why don't you stand up and we'll celebrate. This is Jerry and Karen Glazer, who have been married 46 years today. Such a blessing to us, and we're happy for you. Thank you for your faithfulness to each other and to, uh, to the Lord and to Bethel Church. Some of you are awaiting surgery. Maybe you don't want to be pointed out. Some of you are waiting doctor's visits that need to happen, and we love you and we're concerned for you. Some of you are going through treatments that are hard, and uh, we want you to know that you're in our prayers. We have one brother in Christ across the way here that Brother Ken Wyatt befriended, and he's come to know the Lord, and he's in the hospice, and... uh, and he is seeking the Lord. He is hungry for God. He is studying the Word. He's got the Word open up. Precious to visit with him. He loves the hymns of the faith. He loves the Word. And, and he's come to the Lord in a beautiful way. And he's in our prayers. You can remember his name is Paul. Like we've been singing about Paul today. So pray for Paul, overrider who's across the way. And he's a brother in Christ today. And I know that... Uh, I know you have other things on your mind. Not all of them are heavy like that. It's, a, it's midsummer already here. And uh, we are so grateful for being Michigan people in the summer, aren't we? It's a beautiful place to be. All the way to October and into November. And then after that, well, by, uh, but for the grace of God, you know, that's... But I, I thought before we preached today, we would spend a little time together as a church family in prayer especially for those that are facing surgery this week um, or that have a need to get into the doctor, doctor's appointments to get fixed. We, we want you to know we care for you. We want to pray for you publicly right now. So let's, let's talk to the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you for this service, for the beautiful songs and hymns that we've already sung that are just so full of truth that we need. And we thank you for those who led them and those who sang them and those who played their instruments so beautifully today. It's, it always warms our hearts to think we know there's a place where we can go. Clusters of Jesus followers are going to sing. And then we're going to read the Bible and we're going to encourage one another in the, the most holy life to follow the Lord and be like Christ. And, and, and so this is why we've gathered today, because we desire to follow you and because we acknowledge our need for you. And we, we pray especially for those who are ill um, and I pray for their protection and their sustained good health and that they would be able to be attended to by those that are capable of taking care of them. I pray you'd watch over the doctors and nurses and such that, that do take care of them. We do thank you for Jerry and Karen today and Lord for uh, the celebration of their marriage and we're so grateful uh, for Christian marriage and for Christian family that you've given to us. Uh, one of your best ideas. Now, as we look at your word today, I pray that you would give us a special spiritual insight that you would open our eyes to what is true, even things that we cannot physically see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So we return again to the letter to the church at Ephesus, and it's a good time for us to remember that the church at Ephesus did not begin with a potluck, did it now? The church at Ephesus began with a bonfire of demonic and occult literature. And that would have been interesting, wouldn't it? So a handful of people are recovered from demonic practices, and their church is a small church initially that meets literally the temple to a demonic god is on a cliff overlooking the city. And it would have been, they would have been conscious of that spiritual darkness all the time. And this is the church that Paul is writing to, a church that understands a little something about demonic things. According to the scripture, there are unseen spiritual forces. They're real, but they're spiritual. They're not material. Behind all the things that are material in the universe. And this reality then, according to the Bible, reality includes both spiritual and material realities. In other words, there are spiritual beings that are very real and they affect things in the world. So our text today is in Ephesians in chapter 6 and a famous text, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to go from verses 10 through 13 today, but 10 through 18 are generally the section that we think about as where the Bible talks about spiritual warfare. If you want a place in the Bible, a main text in the Bible, where the Bible talks about spiritual warfare, about the war in the heavenlies, if you will, this is that text. This is the text that we want to understand to really understand all the other places in the Bible that talk about how Satan works and how demons work. And it begins with the word finally. We've reached the summit of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And so the word finally is a signal to the reader of gravity and importance. This is an important thing. Um, This is an essential thing. It, it, It is a sense in which we've been climbing up. And from this elevation, we can see the whole spiritual landscape fall away. And it's stark in its beauty and frightening. Not all of it is beautiful. It takes our breath away. Some of it is beautiful, but some of it is foul and violent and bloody. And from here we can see, when we read this text, we can see that there's a great war that's been, that, that's been raging around us that's affecting everything that we know. There's a spiritual conflict. And the spiritual conflict, Paul's really been talking about it all throughout the letter here. It underlies everything he said. Let me give you just a quick summary of that as an example. In chapter 1 and verse 1, he began, and we use this as the title to our series, to the faithful. Faithful in what? You know, faithful to withstand evil. Um, It's immediately in chapter 3, it talks about what's happening in heavenly places. But you would think that heavenly places would be occupied only with good angels, But according to the scripture, a third of the angels fell, and there are millions of demonic angels that are also in the heavenlies. The scriptures are consistent about that. In chapter 1 and verse 10 in the epistle here, Paul says he would see heaven and earth joined together, like every Christian prays in the Lord's prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, Look in chapter 1 of Ephesians. Take your Bible in your lap. Look in chapter 1 and verse 19. We may refer to this again. Listen to the language he's using and think about spiritual warfare. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him 
at his right hand in the heavenly places. Notice verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And he's not talking there about merely human dominion, not talking about kings and such. He's talking about demonic dominions. He's gonna, you're going to see this clearly as the letter unfolds. The whole theme of the letter, this is the whole theme of the letter. And so as he reaches this climax here, this finally thing, he's really going, he's really arrived where he's been going in order to point out the reality of spiritual warfare. In chapter 1 and verse 21, rule and dominion. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, listen to this. We were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world. Here it is again, following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Did you catch what he was saying there? It was only thinly veiled that before we knew the Lord, we were under demonic control in the network, in the satanic network. And so it is with false teaching and such. So he said this, he's saying this throughout the epistle. In chapter 3 and verse 10, he talks about rulers and authorities. In chapter 4 and verse 8, he talks about a host of prisoners of war, a host of captives. In chapter 5 and verse 16, he warns us that the days are evil. Now, it's, now you say, okay, that explains everything. Look around the world that you're, that you're living in. A lot of stuff has happened that can't be explained unless there is a demonic evil force behind it. And the Bible baldly expresses that truth. And so this morning we stand here for a bit and we want to look around from this high place in Ephesians. And I've been studying this scene, and I want to point out some things that will raise your spiritual awareness and will raise your spiritual alertness and will stimulate your appetite for truth and the realities of the spirit world. Five things today, five things. Number one, you are weak. Number two, Satan is strong. Number three, God is omnipotent. Number four, God has equipped you for battle. And number five, God has placed you specifically where you belong in order to make a difference in spiritual warfare. There's the outline. For those of you that are a little tired, you can go to sleep now. You just got the message. Number one, you are weak. Notice what the text says in Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 10. It says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand firm. This is some serious language. And, and, and it's, it's not just a poetry about things that aren't real. It's a description of spiritual reality. And the first thing you see is that you need to be strengthened. The implication is that we are spiritually vulnerable and that we are spiritually weak. That's why we're told to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Spurgeon said, the first qualification for serving God with any amount of success 
and for doing God's work well and triumphantly is a sense of our own weakness. When I was young, I got a little bit of training in youth work. I was a youth pastor and a music pastor, and I got a little training in youth work. Uh, I'd gone to a special um, ministry training, and they had given me, I, let's just call it a bag of tricks. You know, they gave me a bag of tricks. I was so excited about getting to my first place of ministry so that I could just get in my bag of tricks and with my great enthusiasm, I could just empty my bag of tricks and then I knew that it would be like Billy Graham in youth ministry, that people would just flock to the Lord. I remember just, maybe it took me six months to empty my bag of tricks. And when I had done all the things as enthusiastically as I could, as sincerely as I could, I realized I need God's help. I mean, I would have told you I needed God's help. But the things that we need, I say this often, the things that we need most, only God can do them. Now, you get a little bit older, you know that, don't you? The things that, we mo that our hearts most long for, that we know are good and right, they're things that only God can do. And uh, so the first thing that we want to do is we want to acknowledge our own need, our own weakness. We're not going to be strong. We're going to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And the scriptures are full of that, but we're going to stay in this text here mostly today. J. Hudson Taylor, a great missionary leader, pioneer in China, said, all God's giants have been men and women who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. You are weak. That's the first thing we need to be aware of when it comes to any, anything in the spiritual world. We don't have what it takes. We are weak. The second thing that you see so clearly in this passage is, and, and primarily today, and like in verse 12, this is shocking and stark language about how powerful Satan and his organization are. We're weak, but he is strong. We face an evil one who has evil schemes and evil forces, and we live in evil times. Look around. Pay attention. The evil and the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That ought to make you think, like, wait a minute. You mean there aren't people who are animated by evil? Yes, there are people who are animated by evil. Aren't there people who have evil intent? Yes, there are people who have evil intent. You don't have to go very far. If you go back to chapter 2, we read it, so we won't read it again right now. But if you go back to chapter 2, this section about the prince of the power of the air and the sons of disobedience, and we all lived in them, there are people who are agents of evil. Paul's not saying that there aren't evil human opponents. Paul's saying they're not just human. Behind them are demonic forces and ideas. The stuff that you see spilling out on the evening news. Imagine somebody taking a gun and walking into a school of little tiny innocent children and just trying to murder little children. I hate to even talk. It's such an evil to talk about. What would animate such things? We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's no human explanation for this. It's not merely flesh and blood is the idea. There are evil people who are being used by the enemy, but Paul's point is that there are demonic forces behind these evil people and behind these evil institutions and behind these evil ideas, and they proliferate around us. That's why the Bible says, John said this in 1 John, we know the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In their, in, don't have to scroll your phone very long before you discover that. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, in this case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And that is why people who are under the influence of evil, they call evil things good and good things evil. If you're a kid, you're a young person, young lady, young man, the, the world that you live in is going to tell you that things are, that are evil are good. And the world that you live in is going to pitch this and they're going to sell it, that things that are good are evil. And you will have to have spiritual insight to recognize what is good and what is evil. And if you're a young person, you're just facing your life, you're going out into life, you're going to make a marriage choice. You're going to make a vocational choice. You're going to decide who you're going to live for, what you're going to live for. You want to know good from evil. And one of the first things to understand is you are spiritually weak and vulnerable. And you need help. And Satan and his demons, there's a scheme. He has schemes. Masquerading as an agent of God, he actually has plots and schemes. It's not just that there's evil that announces itself as evil. The evil that you're going to face is going to masquerade like it's good. There's going to be, it's, you're going to get ambushed by evil. You're going to be surprised by evil because they're, the scriptures say they're evil schemes. Notice, so there's an evil one, the devil, they're evil schemes, there's evil forces. Listen to how they're, listen to how the, the Bible calls them rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places. Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers. In other words, Satan has his demons organized. God has his angels organized. Satan has his demons organized. And understand, they've been at this a long time. They're very experienced. And they're very evil. They hate you. They hate Jesus. Jesus loves you. They hate you. They want to crush you. They want to destroy your life. They want to make you an object of, of evil and hatred. They want to parade you as the uh, spoils of their victory. It, they, they, and, and on the way, if, if Satan can't have you, he will just destroy you. If he can't steal you, remember the kill, steal, and destroy? So this is actually happening in your world. That's why the world today is called this present darkness. That's a spiritual reality that we have to understand. So you can't just take everything at face value because you're being deceived by demonic schemes. And then there are these evil forces and then there are these evil times, like verse 13 says, in the evil day. I was talking to a missionary from Haiti, and he says, everybody in Haiti believes in God, in the supernatural. I'm like, really? He said, don't misunderstand. Doesn't mean they're all Christians, but evil there, because of voodoo and such, is so overt. Demonic things are so overt that people don't say there isn't the supernatural because they see evidence of the supernatural all the time. They know there is a God and they know there is a devil. This is coming to a city near you very soon in America. Because Satan has been able to operate undercover and now he's just bold enough that as people, are, as, the, as, the, the, as the country spirals away from God and the, and, the, and the country plunges into God's judgment, which is very clear in the Bible. Like if you read Romans 1, this is like, it's like describing America. We understand that more and more Satan's works are going to be more overt as well as. I saw a gal in Qdoba last night advertising on the back of her shirt that she believed in the supernatural. The, her shirt said, you know, see me for psychic readings. And so there's a person who believes in the supernatural. And this is what we have today is a rip current of evil, of lawlessness. 
2 Thessalonians 2.7 says, only he who now restrains, it will do so until he's out of the way. There's like a restraining influence now because there's a, what the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians is the mystery of lawlessness. So in the Bible, our mysteries are things that are, that were not at one time revealed that now they're understood or they're revealed. And there are many of them, but one of them is this mystery of lawlessness. Like what explains such an anarchist attitude, such a anti-authority, godless spirit of the age. Why is that? It's the mystery of lawlessness. And there's, it's, it's, pers- it's, it's animated by evil. It's populated by people who have given over themselves. All that and then even foolish Christians stumble into it and can't be influenced by it. Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus says to Peter, or you could call him the apostle Peter. So if the apostle Peter could be influenced by Satan, you can be influenced by Satan. So, so hear, hear this. Now, you're a young person right now. I want you to understand, imagine that you are going to Lake Michigan or Lake Superior, maybe Lake Michigan, because you're not going to wait in Lake Superior because you know better than that, because it's so cold. Let's say Lake Michigan. And you go out in Lake Michigan, it's a beautiful day, and the sun is shining, and you know, the birds are flying overhead, and your friends are there. And you go to Lake Michigan, and you're just going to have a great day. You're going to have fun. Oh, there are some cute guys along the beach, and there's good food to eat, and this is going to be a fun time. You listen to your music on the way, and you got the sunroof back, and your hair's blowing in the wind. It's just a happy day. But when you get there, you can see there's a problem. And then everybody's kind of gathered around, and what's happened? Somebody in the, was swimming, and they got sucked out into the lake. And they tried to swim back, but they couldn't. And they, and they were a good swimmer. And then somebody went out to help them. And they were also pulled in. What happened? They were caught in a rip current. And instead of trying to swim along the shore to get out of the current, they did what was natural. They tried to swim straight back to the shore. And they were still in the rip current. And even the people who saved them drowned. Hundreds of people drown every year in oceans and great, great lakes and oceans because of rip currents. Here's what I'm saying to you. You are growing up in a culture that has a rip current of evil, a great tide of evil pulling you to your death. And a rip current of progressive Christianity right now that's claiming many right now. They're destroying their spiritual lives. They're calling it deconstructing their faith, but it's evidence that they never really knew the Lord in a saving way or exposing their lack of genuine faith. They're given, then Progressive Christianity, false doctrine, it masquerades as Christianity. It uses high-sounding biblical language. It says it's smarter, you know, than old-fashioned Bible-believing people, but it leads to self-love, to to love of money, to pride, to arrogance, to abuse, to disrespect, to disobedience to parents, and a zoo of other ugly things. You say, how do you know that? Go with me or listen as I read to you. An ex- a biblical description of this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I think of this because Lois and I, we have you know, a large family, including almost 20 now, grandchildren. It's like, it just seems like the family is just growing so fast. And we can't teach them all. We can't control them. We just love them from a distance a little bit. And then we watching them. It's almost like we went to the beach and we're watching them. We're like, be careful out there. 
Be careful out there. Listen to what the Bible says about our times. This is 2 Timothy 3, 1. Understand this, in the last days will, times of difficulty will come and people will be lovers of self and lovers of money and proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, these men opposed truth, men corrupted in their mind, disqualified regarding faith. Listen, they will not get very far. Their folly will be plain to all as it was to those two men. Eventually, the foolishness and the folly of progressive Christianity will be seen by everybody in the judgment, but not now. Now you look around, you think, I think maybe, maybe I'll join them and maybe I'll listen to them. There's a rip current of progressive Christianity in our time. There's a rip current of giving in to sexual immorality. Don't you just all feel that? Things that are now advertised, promoted, they're using, they're using these things to sell like, as entertainment are things that you couldn't even talk about a generation ago in, in, in polite company. A love of money, an ease, a pleasure, anything that interferes with your fellowship with God, not just sexual immorality, but anything that interferes with your fellowship with God is a part of this evil network. And even things that themselves aren't evil, things that you would give yourself to or overcommit yourself to things that aren't really bad, but they take you away from God. So because they take you away from God, even though they're not bad things themselves, they're part of a network of evil, a rip current of danger. There's a rip current of unbelief in God's promises or God's goodness. And you see this with people and you all feel this, right? You feel a sense like, is the Bible really true? Can I really trust what God has promised? Do I really need to be concerned about what God has warned me about? Is this, and you hear this, it's in the water around us, right? It's in the air around us. You hear this from everybody. And it would be, it's incredibly dangerous to be living in a time like this when so many around us are being influenced by evil. It's almost like we're being pulled out into it in a riptide. And we have to understand that that's happening. That's why I'm preaching about this today. That's kind of my aim today, just that we would raise awareness of the reality of spiritual danger. And it would raise a desire for boldness and that you would also come back and listen to more. This we teach into the means that we're going to have in the next few weeks as we study through the rest of this passage. Ironically, there's another kind of a riptide of evil, and this is really deceitful. It's like a legalism. It's like when people, and I've done this, I've been tempted to add a little something to the Bible. As if the Bible isn't sufficient, we, we add a little rule here, a little rule there, and it just seems like it's safe. But, but listen to what the Bible says about that in 1 Timothy 4. Now, the Spirit expressly says, in later times, some will depart from the faith and devote themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Okay, this is bad, right? This is bad. Through insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And so what are these evil people going to teach? You would think, oh, I know what evil people teach. They teach to be sexually immoral or to get drunk or, or to steal money, right? You know what it's going to say? It, forbid marriage. Require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. 
by those who believe and know the truth. What are these evil, demonic people doing? They're adding to the scriptures. They're, they're legalists. The, in this case, they're, they're probably Jewish legalists dragging people back into an empty observance of Jewish ceremonial law uh, where, where when Jesus came to free people or to complete that, or to the picture of that ceremonial law. Everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected. It's received with thanksgiving, for it's made holy by the word of God in prayer. So what, what I'm saying is that, you've heard me say it before, and that is evil times are here. There's a rib current of evil trying to pull you and your loved ones out away from God to their death. And some of it is by subtracting from scripture and doubting God and not believing God, but some of it is by adding to the scripture or perverting the scripture. So here's what happens. When we see that somebody has perverted scripture and, and even in the world, they're rightfully exposed. Here's what's happening in the world. We expose the person that's perverting scripture or that's not living according to the things that they preach. And along with that person, as we expose them, we also include in that other people who are sincere in their faith. And so we tar them all with the same brush. Here, here, let me be real straight with you. Real Christianity is going to be vilified in our culture. Christian people are all going to be thrown in the same boat. They're, they're all going to be characterized as the worst of the cultists or the worst of the people. Prepare for that to happen, but don't be a part of it. So far, the news has been really bad. Bad news, Ken, uh, today. Uh, you are weak, and the devil is strong, and he's well-organized. Welcome to church. But we're not done. No, we're not done, because what did I tell you the third point was? Anybody remember? You are weak, Satan is strong, God is... Ah, uh, you remember that. All-powerful. Now, message title is The Weak, the Strong, and the Omnipotent One. Let's talk about the mighty God. God is strong, mighty, powerful, omnipotent. Be strong in the Lord and say it with me. In his mighty power. That's fun to say. Say it with me. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Something about that. This is what he said in first. In Ephesians 1, 19, let me read it again. This is what he wanted. This was your text, uh, Pastor Jordan, on the thing that we pray, that we'd have an enlightenment of this. It's powerful, powerful text. And what is the immeasurable greatness of the power toward us? Get it? There's the power language. Now, can I tell you a little? I'll, I interrupt my reading of the Bible to tell you a funny anecdote. So I'm studying this passage with my son, Chuck, who also is pastoring and and I said to him, Chuck, you ought to grab Clinton Arnold's, Clinton Arnold's uh, commentary on Ephesians because it's a very insightful commentary. I've read an abstract. I've read articles. I've watched him lecture about this. I haven't spent the $47.95 on the book, but I have seen that this is a fascinating book. So Chuck bought the book. I didn't, I didn't buy the book. Chuck bought the book. So when we studied together, Chuck's like, well, Clinton Arnold says... I'm like, I don't have that book. What does he say? It's kind of cute. And one of the things that Chuck pointed out as we studied together, he said, did you, did you see the, the emphasis on spiritual warfare that goes all through this book? And that's very powerful. That's why I study with young, smart guys. And so anyway, this is what, and what, what is the immeasurable? Uh, now back to Ephesians 1, which is even better than Clinton Arnold. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe According to the work of his great might. Are you, are you catching the language, the spiritual power language here? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us? Paul's praying 
that people would see this. According to the work of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places for above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. This is a wonderful passage. And he's saying that victory's already won. It's like we're operating out of a victory that Jesus won when he died and rose again already. And then we're living out that victory in our personal experience as we do battle. We follow a God who is more powerful, infinitely more powerful than all of Satan and his demons. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. The, the darkness is deep. Yes, we just said that. But the, the, dark, the darker the night, finish this. The darker the night, the, did you ever sing that one? Brighter the light shines. That's, that's a big gospel tune that you should sing for us. The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. You ever heard that? The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. I'm walking with Jesus the light of the world. I can't sing it. It's beautiful. The darker the night, the brighter the light shines. We're walking with Jesus. He's the light of the world. My grandsons and my granddaughters can have the Holy Spirit living in them even when I'm dead and gone. And they can walk in the light in a dark time because Jesus has always been and he always will be the light of the world. We can have access to God's omnipotent, God's power to fight against darkness. How beautiful is that? Number four, he's equipped you. We'll get into this in detail. But he's equipped you. In Christ, we have what we need. You are weak. Satan is strong. God is omnipotent. And he has equipped you. That's why over and over it says, Put on the whole armor of God. It says it in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. You're like, what is that? How would a person do that? Take up the whole, verse 13. Take up the whole armor of God. What is that? What is that? It's kind of a poetic reference. Paul's chained to a soldier. And Paul's like, you know, if you're in a pastor's life, watch yourself. Because you know what's going to happen. He's going to turn you into an illustration. Am I right? If you live with a pastor, you would know you are just a hair's breadth from being an illustration any given day of your life. So like I come out of the office today and there are donuts. I knew that there was going to be spiritual warfare when I started preaching on this passage, but I didn't know there were going to be donuts. That's unfair. Fresh donuts. Sitting in the office, I walked over. I thought that's probably a box left over from some evil person who brought them in before. And if I check and it's empty, the temptation will dissipate. So I opened it up and it was full of fresh donuts, my favorite kind. I thought, oh my goodness, I knew there would be spiritual warfare today. But I didn't know it would take that form. Closed them back up and I realized they faced two temptations. They weren't mine. I was tempted to gluttony and theft. And then Pastor Jordan said, I want to contribute to your sin. But if you would like one, you can have one. Well, that wouldn't be as bad of a sin. Or would it be stealing then? It would just be gluttony. But I overcame that temptation. God has equipped us for, it, it, it isn't really silly, you know, God has equipped us for, to withstand really evil. Like there's going to come a time, young lady, there's going to come a time when a young man, you're going to want his attention. You're going to want his affection. You're going to want him to like you. He's going to ask you to probably compromise. He may ask you to compromise what you know is right. You will have a powerful temptation to do that. God is powerful. Remember him in that moment. 
Fellas, this week, your wife depends on you to be a faithful Christian man. Your kids depend on you to be a faithful Christian man. The world is saying there aren't faithful Christian men anymore, but your wife and your daughters and your sons and your grandchildren, they ought to be able to say, no, I know one. I know one who lives a selfless life. I know one who's kind and he's merciful and he's good to the women in his life and he walks in purity and honesty. I know one. He's my dad. He's my grandpa. He's equipped us to have, he's a, there is an armor. We'll talk about it. We won't talk about it all today, but we'll just, just refer to it. There is, there is a means. Paul is chained to a Roman soldier, and he uses the Roman soldier as an example of God giving us all that we need. We're going to talk about how God has given us all that we need. During World War II, if you remember, Hitler invades Poland, and now he turns toward uh, the island. He turns toward Great Britain, and he begins to bomb Great Britain. And then in the providence of God, they say, Three things happened. One, the radio happened. The radio became popular. And a couple people went on the radio. C.S. Lewis went on the radio during that war. They gave a series of addresses that became mere Christianity. Still, it's never been out of print. You should read it yourself. But significantly, there was another kind of little roly-poly guy that you wouldn't really think would be very dangerous. He went on the radio. Sir Winston Churchill. He'd been set aside as inconsequential. But he went on the radio. And he went on the radio and he called, he called to arms. He called England to arms. And then there was the Royal Air Force. And the young men and women in the Royal Air Force defended England and really all of, of Western civilization against a dark evil in that time. There was a moment for Winston Churchill and there is a moment for you. There's a, there was a moment for radio, and there's a moment for you. There's a moment for the Royal Air Force, and there's a moment for you. And you're ready for that. God has made you ready for that. There's an evil that threatens the loved ones in your life, that threatens the people in your neighborhood. There needs to be a Christian influence in your neighborhood. And you're, you're, God has given us the equipment. We'll be talking about that. A young man leaves a Christian home. Everybody's kind of worried. He's going to a secular university. And they know that in the secular university, his faith may be eroded. But the first thing he does when he gets to the secular university is he stumbles into a vital and vibrant Christian group. When he gets home for Thanksgiving, his mother discovers he's actually grown spiritually when he went away to the secular university. Because God equipped him and he had people in his path. A young woman, true story. She's discouraged, and other people are not teaching her the truth. They're all saying things that are bad and not true. But there's an older lady on the radio that's speaking truth on the radio every day. And every day the little girl goes over in the corner and turns on the radio, and she listens to the lady speaking truth. Years later, she says, the reason I'm a Christian mom today is because one of the things is I went over in the corner every day, and I listened to that lady speaking Christian truth, and God equipped her through that faithful lady that was speaking Christian truth. A couple have their kids grown and they're alone now in their home and they're quietly paging through a photo album and all they can see is how did God do this? How did God provide for all of those kids? How did God protect all of those kids? What, 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 the God who met all those needs, who answered all those prayers, who's protected us through the years, we will trust him until we die because the God of the past who is faithful is the God of the future who will equip us for what we face in the future. He's equipped you.
And finally, he strategically placed you. There's an evil opportunity, and he placed these people in Ephesus. And now we read the letter to the Ephesians as this great treatise of Christian doctrine and of practice. And yet these people lived in the very, in the very atmosphere of evil. They survived in an atmosphere of evil. And you live in an atmosphere of evil. Think about it. You ever realize this? God has strategically placed you there. God in his providence has put you where you are. Look around where you are. Who needs you? Who can you influence? Who can you love? Love is very powerful. Who can you speak truth to? Who can you pray for? You can say, you know, neighbor, you can die. You can go to hell, but you can't. You have to crawl over me. My, my dad, kind of dramatic. I never openly rebelled against him. Dad would every once in a while say to me, he had this thing he would say. It was kind of cute. He would say, you can do it if you want to, but you'll have to back over my dead body in the driveway. I'm like, dad, I love you. And not drive back over your dead body in the driveway. Like, just tell me you don't want to go. But I would say, he would say, he would say that every once in a while. He'd pull that out. I will, he's going to watch this. I love you, dad. Um, hey, uh, let's go. You have to back over my dead body in the driveway. There'd be people in your world that go, I would have to back over my dad's dead body in the driveway. I would have to run over my mother's prayers to do that. I'd have to blaspheme my grandmother's God to do that. You see what I'm saying? That's you. You're that person. You're that person in your place. You have a place and you are equipped. Yes, you are weak. And yes, Satan is strong and he's organized. But God is omnipotent and he's given you his armor of the believer and he's placed you where he wants you to be. What would it look like for a believer to do that? That's what we'll get into in the next messages. Can I tell you a story? And then I'll be through. You guys never answer that question. Why? Let me, let me coach you on this. I, it's like grandchildren. I'm like, Can I tell you a story? Yes. Act really enthused. This is a good story. Why don't I just read it to you? This was a story from 2 Kings in chapter 6. It's a great story. And Elisha, the prophet, he's been in, he, God's telling him what's going on with Ahab's court. So they send and surround him with an army. And the army has what? Horses and what else? It's like tanks. Yeah, chariots. They're seriously surrounded. So Elisha is there in his tent and he has, the, he has his young servant with him. This is a great story. He has his young servant with him. There's the old guy and a young guy and the old guy's been around the horn a little bit. He's walking with the Lord. The young guy's learning to walk with the Lord. This is the setup, right? So he sent horses and chariots and a great army and they came by night and they surround the city. When the servant of the man of God, young guy, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha says, don't be afraid. Those with us are more than those that are with them. He's like, don't worry, son. We got them outnumbered. And the kid's like, you need to come out here and look because there's a lot of them. And we, are not, we do not have them outnumbered. Because all he sees is army, horses, chariots with a really bad attitude. Then Elisha prayed. Always oh, a good idea. And said, I love this prayer. Oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. This is a great story, isn't it? 
Open his eyes that he may see. You can, you can share this one with others. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. <laughs> That's a good one. You should make a movie out of that. That'd be a great movie. Chariots of, I would call it chariots of fire. <laughs> the last good movie ever made. Chariots of fire. There were chariots of fire. Faithful Christian, you are weak. Satan is strong and organized. God is omnipotent. You have a chariot of fire. Open your eyes. God, open our eyes. William Gurnall was a Puritan, an English Puritan. And Gurnall wrote a book that's like 1,700 pages, all on the text that I'm preaching to you from. It's called The Christian in Complete Armor. Spurgeon said if I was marooned on a desert island and I could only have one book besides my Bible, I would take Gurnall, probably just because of the girth of the book, the size of the book, the Christian in complete armor. Here's what William Gurnall said. Say not thou hast royal blood running in thy veins and art begotten of God, unless you can prove your pedigree by this heroic spirit that you dare to be holy in spite of men and devils. Oh, how uncomely a sight it is to see a bold sinner and a fearful saint one resolved to be wicked and a christian wavering in his holy course to see guilt put innocence to flight and hell keep the field impudently braving it with displayed banners of open profaneness to see his saints hide their colors for shame or run from them for fear who should rather wrap themselves in them and die upon the place than thus betray the glorious name of God, which is called upon them to the scorn of the uncircumcised. Stand up. Be strong. You think, how am I going to do that? I will talk to you about that next week. Remember what bold Daniel said of God's people in evil, evil end times. He said, the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. And remember that Jesus is the captain of our deliverance, our victory, our salvation. Jesus is our great military leader. And we stand in him, and he is our conquering leader. So, beloved, be vigilant, be valiant, be aware, be alert, be informed, prepare to stand. Open our eyes, Lord, so that we can see the chariots of fire that are around us.